business, marketing, leadership, and life. Welcome to the AMP Podcast with your host, Shane Michelli. Welcome to the Amped Podcast. This week's guest is Deron Mahan, author, musician, and all-around good dude. We're going to talk to Deron about his book, Identity, what inspired him, what the writing process was like, and what he hopes others get from it. But before we get started, I wanted to visit some comments from last week's show. I'm very grateful to those people who take the time out to give us that feedback, encouragement, and criticisms. That means a great deal. The most interesting comments we received were those that were talking about adding new C's to our see people clearly mindset. If you listened, you know the C's we covered, critics, cheerleaders, confidants, and champions, the roles you need to create a a well-rounded business and personal life. Ironically, the C's that people suggested were not roles to add, but more importantly, those to steer away from. The top three we heard from people were complainers, cheaters, and chameleons. I think these new C's need very little explanation. Two of the three are fairly easy to spot. Complainers are, well, complainers. And cheaters, if they've been around long enough, they have a reputation that precedes them. The third, chameleons, are much harder to spot. In last week's episode, I mentioned about having some bad experiences that led to the creation of the see people clearly mindset. Well, all of those interactions were with people that were chameleons. So how do you know if someone's a chameleon? Well, I'd suggest you look at their fruit. Do they have lifelong friends, diehard business relationships? Are they doing life with people? Are people vouching for them? Do people turn to them in times of need? You know, see, chameleons are usually very successful people and great acquaintances or friends until they get what they need. Now, I'm going to leave that right there and move on. We need to get back on topic, but thanks again for your comments and for all those new C's. Keep them coming. As I mentioned at the show open, I'm honored to interview Duran to hear about his book, My Identity, what inspired him, what the process was like, and how he hopes this helps others. So with that, let's talk to Duran. Welcome, Deron. How are you doing today? Hey, man. Doing good. Good to talk to you today. Hey, look, before I before we get in, I, I know I didn't tell you this before, but I wanted to just ask, I did you know, you're you're in Tennessee. Did you did you hang up your UT flag for this upcoming game? Man, you know what? I don't even know if I'm gonna be able to watch this game. Of course, you know, being an Alabama fan, this is Third Saturday in October is just legendary. Now, it hadn't been for the last 15 years because Alabama's pretty well dominated Tennessee, but I'm nervous about this week, dude. So I'm just, I think I may, I think I may go into my closet and just uh, go into meditation (laughs) for three hours on Saturday. I don't know if I can handle that game. (laughs) Well, if you notice my absence on social media after the LSU Tennessee, and what was even worse is, we're in Knoxville, so we're sitting on our back patio trying to watch the game, and we're countering yeah. everybody else's cheers. Obviously, they were cheering much more frequently than we were. But, so, yeah. so I would. Oh man! I, I looking back, I wish I would have gone into my my closet too. But um, 
Hey, look, Duran, thanks again for being a guest today. I'm really excited to, to talk about all things Duran. And, but give us a little bit of background on yourself. Tell us who, who you are and, and where you're from. Man, I am. Uh, I just had a birthday last weekend, and so I am a 53-year-old second-generation preacher's kid from the South, from Alabama, actually. I was born in Mobile, raised in Birmingham, uh, and so you can just, just from that brief introduction, you can tell how messed up I've been for much of my life. Uh, <laughs> I had to, had to have a lot of healing and fixing and rewiring and unlearning and relearning, but um, I'm a happily married dude. I've been married to my college sweetheart for 33 years. Um, I've got um, a 24-year-old son, a 17-year-old daughter, and a 13-year-old Pomeranian with breath that would stop time itself. <laughs> so, that's my family. And, uh, and, and I've been, been, been in music most of my life as far as singing. I've been singing since I was uh, about old enough to talk is what my mom always that's the story she tells um and so yeah man just been a been a, a discovery um one after another just throughout my life just kind of growing through just I, I was raised in the 70s so you know how crazy the 70s was man with uh, the hair with the, the clothing with uh, the leftover drug smoke from the 60s um and all that stuff so it i've, I've been one process after another man and and, and what i've arrived at is uh, a 53-year-old guy that feels and hopefully looks like I'm about 33. And I certainly act that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's awesome. Well, so musician, you mentioned musician, uh, multi-generational, right? Yeah. Um, my brother, which you know my younger brother, Landy, he's, he's younger than me by three and a half years, but, you know, he looks about 10 years older than me now because he has – four kids and I only have two <laughs> so that ages you a little bit quicker and more intensely I believe but uh we traveled together when we were kids with my dad and mom uh traveled all over my dad uh holding revival services and my brother and I singing and and uh that's I think we our first record we recorded I was nine years old and uh Landy was five so we've been been doing that thing for years and then now our kids are all recording artists and songwriters and musicians. So yeah, man, it's uh, it's just passing down from one limb, one branch to the next. That's that's great. Well, you know, one of the things that I do with with the podcast is really try to kind of get some of the stories behind the stories and talk about how you're inspiring people, but also how you've been inspired. So, have there been some people throughout your life that you've looked up to and have have helped kind of bring you to where you are right now you know there actually are man i'm you know the obvious the obvious answer to that is my or my parents um my dad um you know even being in ministry which can be just a circus all to itself my dad and mom they always lived a life of consistency um around my brother and me i mean it was kind of like one of those things where and i've heard horror stories from other preacher's kids or preach yeah you know kids who were raised in churches and ministry environments and such and, you know them sort of seeing a lot of inconsistent living where their parents would sort of proclaim one thing when they get behind <laughs> pulpits and on stages and all and then at home they would live a completely different life but I had a dad and mom that really they really focused on the value of of Landy and I our family unit and developing integrity 
character, consistency, and basically whatever you say, that's what you try to live. You know, you're not living a duality of existences where you're one thing in front of your church setting or in front of your career and whatever path you're taking. And then, you know, when you're in private, you're living something completely different. So they taught us a lot of the consistency of living came from them. Uh, you know, generation before me, my grandfather, who consequently uh, just died back in July at 95 years old. Um, he had a third grade education, started to work, you know, back before, probably before he could even shave, he was working uh, in fields and worked for the city of Jackson, Mississippi for years. And then uh, he could not read or write. And, and yet he built a concrete business there in Jackson, Mississippi. I worked for him. That was my, sometimes that was my summer job when I would go stay with my grandparents. I'd go with him to do these concrete jobs. And let me tell you, Jackson, Mississippi in the dead of summer with me with a pickaxe in my hand, digging out footings for ditches. You know, he, I didn't, he got to do the glamorous work, all of the beautiful concrete and all. I was the grunt guy that just dug out all the ditches and trenches and, sweated like nobody's business and but he he taught me excellence in in work what you do you, you do give it your best and and do what do do it the right way and he did that from a much less advantageous place than than i was able to grow up in i mean he had a tough life and uh you know those are my natural family influences and then i have guys like one of my early mentors um before i became a father was a guy named Dr. Phil Brassfield, who, you know, I was able to travel with him some, and he was um, he was a coach, a personal coach, a business developer, just um, uh, developed in a whole ministerial organization thing back in the day. And uh, so he was an early guy. And uh, then I've had musical influences, you know, coming up that um, vocally I would listen to, uh, you know, guys like Michael Bolton. Yes, I said that guy, Michael Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> Michael McDonald, Michael Jackson, all the Michaels, man. They just, they always had a, a big influence on me musically and production wise, guys like David Foster. And I always was a big fan of the band Toto, still to this day. Um, you know, Steve Lukather, guitar player. I don't play guitar, but I certainly listen and love and appreciate. Um, and then just guys like that. And then, uh, you know, even a more recent, real in, strong influence in my life was a guy named Wayne Jacobson. Uh, he's an author. Uh, and he's also worked kind of with school boards in California as a mediator, kind of working, reconciling broken relationships between parents and school boards. So he taught me a lot of a lot of different things I'm still gleaning from today. And uh, that's, um, you know, just bits and pieces. You know how it is along the way. People drop nuggets into your life and you try to learn from them. And in turn, you want to drop nuggets in the generation coming behind you and that life and their lives kind of watch them thrive and grow. So that's sort of me in a nutshell, man. Well, I appreciate that. And, and talking about that, about the growth and all of these building blocks that have gone in to create Duran. And, and, and I, I don't, I think I said this at the beginning, but one of the things that I, I think is the coolest thing about it is you're the only person I know who have rhyming names. Dude, that has been the, the bane of my existence. Thanks to my mom. Um, <laughs> And, you know, really, Duran is my middle name, but my mom decided at birth that that's what I would be called by. Uh, my first name is actually Glenn. I'm named after my father. But I think what happened is in labor, I gave my mom such a hard time coming into this world. 
And so she's like all jacked up on whatever medicine they've got her on in labor. And she's like, that little joker, if he's going to put me through this, I'm going to hang a name on him that he won't ever forget. And so, yeah, I mean, it, she, she just kind of saddled me with that mother goose sounding Duran Mahan. And, uh, Sounds kind of like a skin condition, but it's the name that I was given. <laughs> well, starting with the name and all of the building blocks, as I was, I was mentioning to here, that's created who you are today. But you wrote this right. book called Identity, and it was this, you know, just kind of going off of like some previous conversation. It was kind of this book of discovery. Was my identity and the topic something that had been on your mind for a long time, or was that based off of kind of some more recent events? Well, it, I kind of wrote this book in reverse, man. I never, I never considered myself to write uh, as being an author of a book. Um, you know, with a name like Duran Mahan, if I was going to write anything, it would have been children's books or something, you know, like Dr. Seuss or something crazy like that. And I've always had just this twisted sense of humor and very created, unbridled creativity, which has gotten me in trouble through the years. But I think it was just um, probably when I hit my 40s, maybe late 30s, early 40s, I really got into journaling because pretty much all I would write would be songs, uh, you know, and then I would occasionally a, a poem that sounded really cheesy but I would write it anyway and and so it wasn't literally until my mid to late 40s that I started really kind of knuckling under as far as blogging and journaling and what I would do simply is use writing as almost a, a form of therapy and so that just kind of came together and pointed into a direction that I mean, I, I kind of noticed, especially after, I, really, it was about 2012, 2013, I started noticing that a lot of my writing was trending toward a certain subject, uh, certain issues in my life that I was dealing with, which was, you know, the the challenge of discovering my true identity. Um, that's one one dangerous thing about being a creative person and also being raised in on a stage for much of your life, is you tend to allow your identity to be strongly influenced and fashioned by what you're getting from the outside in. Um, and so I always use the term that my identity was hijacked and I was living an identity to basically live up to the expectations that everyone else had of me. And, uh, so, and, and then when I hit my forties, I guess I kind of had this period of discovery and I was like, you know, was taken back to the source of really where my value and my significance was derived and then started working backwards. And then uh, I think it was in 2019, I began to look more intently at, at these blogs and these journals I was writing. And, and I was like, man, I, I need that. There seems to be a book of some sort. But it was in my mind, you know, it's just it was kind of scattered. It, it certainly wasn't structured as a book, but, you know, it'd be maybe some sort of a devotional journal kind of book. But so it ended up happening and I put it together and it just sort of the book literally sort of snuck up on me about late 2019, early 2020. So you, you, this book sneaks up on you and then you get the COVID delay of life to figure it out. right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, literally, man. I mean, I had, I was about to go to bed one night and I was turning the TV off. All the fan was already in the bed. So I was kind of closing up the shop, so to speak. And I, I, 
I saw an ad as I was getting ready to turn the television off, and it was about, you know, aspiring writers. We're looking for manuscripts. We're looking to help develop writers. And on a whim, I, I went to the website. And, uh, you know, instead of, like, doing something in the proper order and protocol, I just uploaded all of these compiled blogs and journal entries that I had, and I just sent it to info at whatever and probably blew up their server on the other side because I did not send too much. But I got a call. Um, like two or three days later, maybe. And they were saying, you know, we're looking at some of the stuff you sent and we think there's a book here. And we certainly think the content is marketable and, and culturally viable. And could you send us like three chapters? And, and I, and I did. And they said, we'll analyze these three chapters. We'll talk, talk about, talk to our team about them. And then we'll give you uh, an answer. So essentially that was my submission uh, for a book deal. And literally, like ten days later, I get a I get a letter of acceptance, and they're like, We're, "We want to move ahead and publish this work for you." And I'm like, "What just happened? <laughs> I, did I, I just if this is real now, man? This stuff got real quick." <laughs> and uh, and so they walk me through the process, uh, and next thing I know, boom! I, I, I'm I'm holding a book. They designed, did the cover design, everything went through edits and all this kind of stuff, and I'm like. How did this happen? But it's almost like things that happen to me, it's, it's, it's like sometimes they happen so quick because it doesn't give me time to, to screw them up, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's like maybe, you know, me getting in trying to control because I get over analytical as a creative and think even with my book now, I'm looking and I'm finding typos. And I'm like, man, why didn't I do that? Or why didn't I word this this way? Or why didn't I do? But I'm like, that's exactly what this book is about is me kind of, getting away from that tendency of trying to, to, to be perfect in every way. Cause I think people are looking at me and I've got to be this and I've got to have this. And so the book essentially became an expression of my process. And I'm even now I can go back and read some of these old chapters and I'm like, wow, that's exactly what I was going through. I was such a lost soul. I, I didn't know how to be comfortable in my own skin because I felt like I was living for, the approval and the validation of those around me. And, 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 and I didn't even really know who I was. And so it's been, it has been a whirlwind over this last decade of my life. And especially probably the last three to five years have been just a, I feel like I've been on a fast track to really having a, 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 a great discover life discovery and an awakening to, to who I really am and what that means for the rest of my life. Man, that is, that's so great. And, you know, one of the things that came to me when you were saying that is, you know, you were working backwards and in business, you know, one of the things that we work with clients all the time is, is looking at success and this, this whole concept of success. And to your point, these eyeballs and you're letting are on you and you're letting someone else write your own headlines. And what ends up happening is you sit down with somebody and they were like, well, we're not happy or we're not successful. And it's like, well, what what does that mean? And they can't even define it. Like they they think, well, is it a is it a a big bottom line? Is it or are you changing the world? Or and it's and you start to break this down and say, what was your passion for getting in the business? Yeah. And then they tell you, and you're like, well, how come you've moved so far away from that now? So I love that whole <laughs> part of working backwards. It's like here's here's who I really am, not who I've been built to be. And so, so I, I, I just love that. No, 
Now, as you were writing this book, you've, you've talked about the process. Was it, was it pretty straightforward for you? Was it just literally taking these blogs and thoughts and putting them together? Or did you feel it become like this living thing as you were writing? You were like, oh, no, I need to change that. Or this is the same. Or this is, you know, how, how did that process work for you? Well, you know, this is the weird thing. Most of the book had already been written when I when I reached that point of saying, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna write a book. I added a few later chapters of things that I had kind of you know just 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 later chapters in this process. But a lot of it was like I said, I had been writing this book and didn't really even know it. So other than just fine tuning sentence structure and going back and saying, you know what, let's take this out. I I've got a file on my computer with about seven to eight. I think it's maybe, maybe about eight chapters that didn't even make the cut of the book. But but it was just, I mean, it was just some of these I was looking at that was, you know, related to, my, to identity. But I would go back and just whittle away here, whittle here. And then I think I added two new chapters from the time that I got the publishing deal. I maybe added two new chapters. The rest of the stuff had already essentially been written. And uh, so it was a matter of me just fine-tuning and... Um, I guess I was probably too stupid to know when I was writing that stuff years ago uh, that, hey, this is, yeah, you're writing this, but what you're writing is a template for, for the process you're about to embark on. And, uh, you know, maybe if I would have known that early on, it would have scared me to death, man. I would not have run like crazy away from the, the you know, the process of actually writing. Because I'm like, no, if I'm writing it and I, it doesn't resonate right now, that means I'm heading into that. But thankfully, man, I just, um, you know, I'm a person of faith, and so that's really what this whole thing was about, was taking me back to who I was originally created to be, and, you know, I and it, it went to a place, what I realized I had done, it's kind of like the old analog radio, the dial, you know, when you're trying to find the station, and most of that you're getting is just whistles and screeches and static and then you're fine-tuning, and you finally hit right on that frequency where you're hearing that station clearly. And so that, I, I, in retrospect, I was like, wow, I've been, my whole life's been programmed by a lot of static and squeals for so many years. And then finally, it was like I, I felt myself getting dialed into that station of, oh, okay, there's the clarity now. This is who I was made to be. This is what gives me value and substance. Now I can engage life from a place of rest and 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 enjoyment and being in each moment instead of having to strive and feel like i'm performing and i i'm like continually living in this comparative narrative where i'm having to perfectly perform and outdo this person and this whether it's music whether it's anything you know i was be i found myself being defined from the outside in and which is completely insecure because the outside's always changing but the constant is when you realize you got a secure foundation who you are what gives you value how you're loved how you are legitimate in life and then that is the fuel that that kind of provides the transportation for the rest of your life so you end up living from the inside out as opposed to flailing from the outside in that's that's great yeah well I want to go back to a reference you made, and th thankfully we probably don't have a lot of young people, but, you know, the, the old days of trying to get that radio dial just tuned in. Now, nowadays you just, you go to, 
you go to your Spotify or your your oh, Apple yeah. Music account and, and put it in. But no doubt. But but no, I, I love that about say hearing how you had it dialed in, and you, you know you mentioned you were a person of faith, and you know one of, that's one of the things that I I find so interesting is this this separation of people. You know, on last week's show, I talked about uh, you know one of my the, actually the inspiration for this podcast was a guy named Greg Leakley and. Greg was very outwardly expressive with his faith. And yeah, this, these, you know, what I find so often is people try to separate, like, this is my church life, this is my faith life, and then this is who I am in business, or, or they overdo their faith life. It's like, look, be who you are. And if, if, if faith is part of your life, it's part of who you are. It's not, it's, it's not another role that you operate in individually. It's, it's part of who you are. And I love how you said that. Exactly. You're just a person of faith. It's, it's the package. And if you want the package, it's coming with all of these things. I was so great that how you put that. You know, man, one of my, one of my current mentors, I would say mentor, he's actually younger than me, but he's got a guy, he's a guy that's got an amazing story and I'm a part of the most unique life-giving church community that I have ever been around in my life. And I mean, we looked for years because I had to have a lot of detoxing from religion, from churchy kind of stuff. And dude, I went through some, I went through some dark times of just trying to, and it was all a part of this settling back into my original DNA or my original purpose in my life, the entirety of my life in Christ. But how that's not that's not a religious reality, as some people have tried to make it. There's always been like this dividing line between the secular and sacred, and it was never intended to be that. But the guy, uh, a friend of mine, his name is Aaron Sanders, and just a gifted business guy in our church community. He actually spoke yesterday, and I guarantee you, you've never heard a message or sermon or whatever taught like in that kind of a setting with that kind of content, it was so challenging. It was very uh, forward thinking. It probably would have offended several, uh, the blue haired uh, generation that maybe thought, you know, you got to hear 20 or 30 references to the King James version for you to consider it a good message or something. But Aaron was talking about, there is an actual Hebrew term and the term is avodah. And it sounds, you know, kind of funny, you know, avoda. What in the world is that? Well, avoda is that it was the Hebrew word that was called. It, it was it was the, the the Hebrew word for work, worship, and service in, in the Jewish culture. And so all three of them, they were intertwined. It wasn't like this is me. This is the kind of person, the guy, my identity when I'm working. I'm a different guy when I'm doing my acts of service, and this is me and my worship. You know, you have this segmented lifestyle, and that's what creates so much duplicitous and inconsistent living when you try to live like being three different people. But a voda means, no, the entirety of our existence is lived from the life that we are given in Christ, and it, and it, and it infiltrates, for lack of a better term, it infiltrates our relationships, our business, our health, um, you know, our, our whole the spiritual dynamic, it all, it, it's all in a, it, it, it's all one. And so when you kind of approach life that way, there's such a consistency and a peace and you don't feel like that you, and, and what essentially what's ended up happening so many times is we've seen inconsistency coming from people who 
claim to be, uh, whether it's church people or Christians or whatever, but they conduct their business life in ways that are completely unethical or, or they're just contradictory to what they're claiming. And, and I think that is a result of this segmented uh, understanding of identity. And it's, 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 a, you want to talk about a real pandemic, uh, <laughs> that pandemic, that is a pandemic of lost and hijacked identities, man. We're seeing it across the spectrum in different areas of life. Family, be trying to be a, trying to be a spouse living from these divided identities and all this. And it's just, a, it's something that I am so passionate about. And I've kind of found a message for it, even in the music community here in, in the Nashville area, uh, because a lot of these musicians, they're, they're used for their talent and they're identified and valued based on how good they do what they do. But yet internally in their, the essence of really who they are and who God created them to be, that gets lost somehow. And they live a life of trying to, trying to find out, man, I'm, I'm a great guitarist. I'm a great singer or drummer, but man, there's a void inside of me that I, I just don't feel any substance to my life outside of what I do. Well, it sounds like as you go through, as we've been talking, there, there's so much more, maybe new material. So does that mean there's another book on the horizon? <laughs> Man, you know, I've thought about that. And somebody uh, asked me recently, I've had a couple of guys act like, Man, that sounds like you're working on the second book. I don't know, man. It's almost like I'm, I'm finding myself thinking, well, uh, if I knew that I had to just go in and I'm like, okay, write a book. I don't know that I could do that. I, I would I would be more apt to go in and maybe write a song or do something, you know, a script for some monologue or something. But I don't know. Um, I'm certainly open to it. Um, but I, I, I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm supposed to co-write it with somebody. I, I don't I don't really know at this point. I am open to it but I don't have any definitive plans of writing another one right now. Well, so thinking about the book and, and the content of the book, if there was like a prevailing message that you would hope that readers would walk away after reading that book and say, and you would say, that's what I want to stick with them. What, what would that be? Um, I would probably have to say that they would walk away having a better understanding of a father's heart of love and value for them. And um, there would be somewhat of a revelation or revealing of where their intrinsic value as a person is truly established and where their lives can thrive from. Um, you know, it's really more of a thing where you learn how to abide and just kind of engage life from an, an unhurried, unstressed, you know, manner of, of living, which is, pretty counterintuitive to American culture today. I mean, you know, we're living in a life where, you know, we got to work 25 hours a day, eight days a week, 367 days a year. You know, it's just like continually going, going, going. Levels of anxiety and depression are at an all-time high. And I think a lot of that is because so many people are driven to to, to perform in order to, to feel valued or, or – they, they find their significance based on what they do. And I find it amazing that we are called human beings, not human doings. And, and a lot of times we don't, we haven't, we don't know how to be because we're so focused on what we do. And if people could read this book and come away feeling like I can engage life from a secure place of my all things new identity in Christ. And that is totally not a religious 
way of thinking. Um, it, it, it's reality. And they don't have to spend the entirety of their lives just striving to perform or, or trying to do more or be more in order to, to prove a worthwhile identity and purpose in life. You know, that's, it's, it's listening to you say that. One of the things that I've noticed in business, and especially when you start to, to, to talk to leaders and things, is, is, and I'll blame it on social media. There's probably, there's a lot of good things that social media brought out, but is, is it's created what I call this validation generation. And, Absolutely. And so what's happened is, to, to some of the points you made earlier, people become what will get them validated, not who they are. And, and we look right. at the, some of the battles with, with uh, you know, mental health, and, and, and it's these pressures that, that, that kids that are growing up have on them that we didn't have as a generation because we didn't, we didn't get validated. We got paddled. <laughs> so, right, we got paddled <laughs> That's right. So, so you know, we, we traded the little thumbs up in the heart for a switch. But but again, yeah. I just I think that it's it's good that to say that is is because we've created this validation generation and and so to to back away from that to say I'm yeah I don't I'm gonna I'm gonna self validate because I know who I am and I know who created me that that's that's you know definitely exactly. something that we need to be driving towards as a world. It is man. I I, I think they should have they almost got Facebook right. It, it really should be called Facebook because yeah. it's. It, it fuels this this false identity, man. I mean, how many? You know, you, do you remember when we used to have those Kodak, those uh, pictures? Hey, I mean, they, not pictures, but the camera. The pictures had to actually be developed from film. Dude, we didn't. If we had something in our nose or something in our eyes, that's tough. That picture was getting developed. It was who we were. But nowadays, in this selfie generation, where we've got to get the angles right, we got to have the lighting right, our makeups. Well, not my makeup. I'm hopeless without <laughs> makeup or without. But we have to have everything just right, and and that's what we want to put forward. And and, and that's and it, it's fueling. We're we're fueling that. Even, I mean, I you know, I look at my kids, and and thankfully they are they're they're well rounded. They, I, you know, I believe that my wife and I have been able to put put some you know some substance in them and, and that's been one of the challenges though We're, we've been like you guys what you see on social media is not indicative of reality you may get bits and pieces of stories and faces and, and all that but every, it's, it's all about being your your best you and sometimes men it, sometimes we don't I apologize for that siren in the background by the way I don't know if you heard that I'm right here on this road that uh, it's it's a it's a, like a corridor that comes from the hospital and the so everything on the other side of town they have to get to man I get to get serenaded by ambulances and stuff so well we're but, we're, but we're just real life so let it happen <laughs> it is man that's a part of it yeah and so but but social media I mean it is it's a tool but man it can so quickly become a weapon waged against our value and our identity and and you know and 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 then it becomes just this it's like a mad cycle you it's like you're caught on a merry-go-round you can't get off and and we pass that on to our kids at times too man it's just uh you know it's it's a it's a very toxic it can be very toxic if you don't have the wisdom to understand uh, the difference between what appears to be and really what is well 
I think we've hit on a topic. Maybe maybe that's a follow up podcast where we break down social media. But you're right. It it, it it's it's not it's not leaving a, a a good message. It's it's creating these these opportunities develop false identities because we want to be like someone else as opposed to being like us. So. Oh, right. And then all the narratives become false as well. And so we don't even really have conversations that we're needing to have. We're talking about conversations that relate to false narratives because there's false identities. <laughs> so that's a, so it's, a, it's a rat race. Well, so looking at you, you've written this book and, and you're out there and do you, are you a reader? Like, do, do you, are there, are there favorite books out there? If I was asking for a suggestion, do you have books that like Shane, you should read this book? Yeah, there. You know, one book that really uh, that helped me, and it was only a. And this, I'm talking, man. We're talking 20 years ago. I read a book, but it was it was just some. It was what I needed at the time. I guess it was a book. I think it was written. I don't know if it was Ken Blanchard or who it was. It was called Who Moved My Cheese. Yes. Do you remember that book? Yes, I do. It's like 90 pages. I mean, I read it literally. I think in less than an hour, and and it was just about a way of 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 you know thinking differently, approaching life differently, you know, not falling in with the, with the status quo rat races, which as you well know, man, culture, if we don't know who we are, culture will certainly try to tell us who we are and they'll get us to think a certain way and program us to engage life a certain way. And that, that kind of tilted my brain a little bit when I read that book. Um, you know, I really, that was, a, that was a book that kind of got me thinking on, well, quite frankly, thinking differently. Um, and so that was a good book. I remember reading um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. That was more in the financial um, segment, I guess. But a lot of good books. Um, I mean, they're written by guys who would consider themselves Christian authors, but they are, you know, they're they're digging deep beyond just the religious, uh, uh, you know, religious genre or whatever. I mean, they're really digging deep. And this guy I mentioned earlier, one of my uh, mentors wayne jacobson he's written uh he's written a lot of really good books one of them is simply titled entitled he loves me and i mean that that's kind of plugging you back in to what the genuine love life-giving love of a father looks like which you know which sort of sets the course for the rest of your life and he also wrote one man you'll appreciate this shane um he wrote a book called so you don't want to go to church anymore (laughs) (laughs) And I was given that book, man, and I read. I think this was probably like 2007, 2008 that I read this book, and because it was right on the heels of reading The Shack, which was a you know worldwide phenomenon, and so Wayne actually was a guy that helped edit the book The Shack and kind of co-wrote some of the stuff. And so uh, after I read The Shack and found out about Wayne, I was like, man, what else has he written? So it was just, and, and it makes you think it's like an axe grinding book against church across the board but it is so the the nuanced the the, the nuanced way that he writes in that book is just it, it's kind of one of those books that really was part of our really i guess the term is religious detoxification <laughs> is that is that a word it is now it is now that's um, right so, it's in, yeah it's entered. yeah but that book a couple of his books that that's why he was so instrumental early on in kind of a helping to focus me on getting back to my original value and destiny and kind of having a restart of life a reboot so to speak uh, which I'm incredibly thankful for well that's that's great and 
Look, Deron, I thank you so much for your time today. This has been uh, an my enjoyable pleasure, conversation. Hey, if, if people want to get the book, or is there a website or can they go to Amazon? How do, how do they get the book? Yeah, um, they're on all the digital outlets right now. Uh, Amazon.com, uh, booksamillion.com, and I think maybe barnesandnoble.com. Uh, and there's probably various and sundry other outlets I don't know about um, <laughs> that, that, that they're on. Uh, but it's it's my identity. It's M I D E N T I T Y, and the book is actually my identity five seventeen. Uh, and so that's that's what you can. And it's under my name, Deron Mahan. Thanks, Mom, again. Uh, but that's where. Uh, so yeah, you can you can go in there. I think they're actually. I think I saw where Amazon put them on sale here a few weeks ago. So I don't know if. I like to think it's because they're selling out, but That's, I don't know. <laughs> well, and and also, uh, I know you've got a podcast. We we you're you're in you're just in there, and I think you said you were ending season two. Where can they find that? Yeah, if you can, if you go, um, they're actually the, all the episodes are on Apple Podcasts, they're on Spotify, Amazon Music, and it is simply called the My Identity Podcast. Um, and you'll see, if you pull it up, you know, it's the right one. Cause you'll see there's some like DNA drawings and there's a picture of my face on one of them, I think, but don't let that scare you. Um, <laughs> so you can, then all the digital platforms you can find it's the, my Identity podcast. That's great. Well, Deron, again, thank you. And I will, I will, I will leave you be so you can prepare for Saturday's game and you can develop oh, that identity. <laughs> For, for exactly. to get through the weekend, but thank you so much again, and and uh, thank you, Shane. I, I look forward to. We're gonna have to do this again. Absolutely, man. It was my privilege. I appreciate it. Thanks, Daron. Have a great one. All right, you too, man. This episode of the Amp Podcast was brought to you by Rio Ray Premium Optics, prescription ready polarized sunglasses. Visit RioRayOptics.com to design your perfect pair. The Cherokee Invitational Women's Basketball Tournament, showcasing athletes and empowering women. December 20th through the 22nd, 2022 in beautiful Cherokee, North Carolina. Visit CherokeeInvitational.com to learn more. Blue Aqua Agency, a strategy and marketing consultancy, combining blue collar work ethic with C-suite experience. Read our story at blueaquaagency.com. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing.